Selfishly was uh, Mr. Pick the most fun for the kids by and large. I say this selfishly was uh, Mr. Chris and I taking the boys out for a night hike. Um, we had one of the camp counselors there join us for half of it, but the moon was out, uh, wasn't too cold. We all had our headlamps on, and I uh, managed to share a really cool story out of Genesis 32 using um, the bridge and the river and a man wrestling with with God before until daybreak um, and so that I think was a meaningful time for them to really break away from everybody else and, and enjoy that time but of course the BB guns the archery range the big field day game that we had was a lot of fun meal times were just chaotic it was so so much fun um, the worship the dance parties my goodness um, so a lot of just really really crazy fun too Keep my spirit yearning your We have the best time at camp, you guys. It's so hard to explain what an incredible, impactful experience it is when you take kids away to the mountains for a weekend and the walls come down and they ask questions about faith that you would never hear from them otherwise. It's such an incredible, impactful, and incredibly fun time. Um, so thank you all to all of you who prayed for us while we were gone this weekend, who prayed for the leaders and the kids. We really appreciate it. And we had some people give scholarships so that a few kids could come who wouldn't have otherwise. So thank you so much as a church community for making that possible. And I want to bring up Kyle and some junior high students to share about their camp experience as well. So for junior high camp, we had 20 boys and five girls. So your prayers were very much appreciated. <laughs> um, camp was awesome. It was a great experience. It was actually my first time ever going to winter camp as a leader and just in general. I've never gone. Um, but it was a great time to hang out with um, our students. And um, there was one day where we, we went around a circle and we asked a question. If you really knew me, you would know that. Um, and the kids for junior hires, they got really, like, really serious and really deep in the things that they shared, and it was awesome just to see walls break down and to see how God moved in that throughout the rest of the weekend. But um, right now we have the wonderful Arden. Give her a cheer. Here we go. 
We have the wonderful Jacob as well. Oh, with the little dab. Um, and they are going to share um, a, just a quick little testimony about their time at camp. And Arden's going to go first. Thank you. So my time at camp was so amazing. It was kind of like a marking point to restart my life with God. And it was just really helpful. And the connecting that we had in our cabins was amazing. Like Kyle said, we just got to get together as a group. And we did this project and this game called If You Really Knew Me. And we just grew as a church. And we got to see how much similarities we had through this simple game in the worship one time we just were three hours straight we were just worshiping and like people were crying and people started a life with God and it was just amazing and um in our cabins we got to learn so much more than we did about each other because of course we had five girls and 20 boys and <laughs> the girls we just really learned so much about each other that grew our connection even closer so hello my name's Jacob and yeah, yeah, it's Jacob. So I've never been to a thing like camp before, and I thought it was just gonna be a little thing where you just go play games and worship a few times, but it turned out to be more God-related God than I thought it was gonna be. And the first way that God showed himself to me was by the pastor, Joel, and whenever he was, I just said Joel. So, um, yeah, most of the stories that he told us um, related to kind of the, some of the stories that me and my friends at school have. And so they really digged very deep into my heart. The second way that God bought himself up was, um, kidding. Um, Paper's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was the singing. <laughs> Main highlight, and I totally forgot about it. So, yeah, it was really awesome seeing people worshiping to God, um, not caring if they were dancing or raising their hand in submission to God, and they didn't care who was watching. They, they just went for it, and it showed me that God was really just going into people's hearts again. And on Saturday, like Arden said, we worshiped for three, for three hours. And there were eight kids who decided to follow God for the first time. And I decided to rededicate my life. And I'm already feeling a change in my life. Thank you so much. You guys can take a seat. So up next is Natalie with some high schoolers. That was so great. Thanks, you guys. Junior highs are the best, you guys. They're so good. Those high schoolers. Um, so we, you can go first. So we went up to Big Bear for the weekend. We ran our own camp, and the theme of our weekend was rest, which was very timely because students were coming right out of finals onto a weekend where the whole theme was rest. So it's this idea that our culture tells us to go, 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 and succeed a lot and do a lot. But we don't talk a lot about rest, like soul rest. But we talked about how rest is actually embedded into the creation of the world. God worked for six great, six days, and then he set that aside and he rested. 
So that's what we talked about, and these girls are just here to give you a little reflection on the weekend. Sam, take Hi. it away. Hi, I'm Sam. Uh, this weekend was super, or camp was super fun, and like Natalie said, we focus on rest a lot, and I think it's super important um, to remember to include rest in like your daily lives because we have so many distractions throughout the day, and I think it's super important. And something I was talking to Natalie about was um, I think it's super cool how we have such a close community and how we have a church to come together with, and yeah, it was super cool. Thanks, Sam. Um, I'm Zoe. I'm a senior, so this was my last winter camp. And I know, so sorry, sad. Sorry. Okay. And it was um, really different from camps we've done in the past. Normally we go to Forest Home and we made our own camp with a cabin. And um, I thought it was really great. I always thought that I knew how to rest. I take a lot of like mental health days from school. And, <laughs> and if I have a busy week at school, I'll like come home on a Friday night and I won't hang out with my friends. I'll just like listen to music or talk to my parents. And I thought that was rest. So when I went to camp, I was like, oh, I got this. I already know how to rest. But I realized that I was not resting in a healthy and good way. And um, I wasn't resting with the Lord. And um, through talking to Natalie and some other leaders and just, like, spending some time alone, I realized that um, I feared rest because of what God could possibly call me to do if I actually focused on him. Um, and also like my own fears, like introspection would lead to finding all my insecurities and just a tumbleweed of horrible things that could follow if I just sat and like thought about myself for a little too long. Um, and so I feared rest, like true rest. So the weekend I did a lot of resting and there were some tears and there was some scary introspection. But um, I realized that I hadn't focused on a lot of really important things because I, I feared focusing on them and one of them was going to college. Um, I'm in the process of choosing between two colleges that if I could clone myself and go to both at the same time, I would. So it's, it's been hard choosing, and I go back every week, I'm like, I'm going to this one. No, no, I'm going to this one. It, I can't decide, and so I was trying to do it all by myself and with my group of, like, my parents and my community, but I realized I needed to turn to the Lord and I feared turning to him because I knew he would give me an answer and then I would have to do it. <laughs> and that was really scary. Um, and so I hadn't been focusing and resting and taking a Sabbath with the Lord to think about college and my choices and just the future in general because I knew if he called me to do it, then I would have to do it. And that was terrifying in itself. So this weekend taught me to like put those fears aside and how to rest with the Lord, with joy and with happiness and without any fear. And it was really amazing and I really enjoyed it. I just have to say, these guys, I learned so much from them. They are so fun to open up the word with. We just sat in scripture and like rested in scripture and the things that they take from it are things that I would never have thought of. So they're so great. Um, we have a slide coming up. Okay, so if you miss winter camp, no big deal. Summer's coming. It'll be here so quickly. So if you have a pen, write these dates down. We don't want you to miss it. You guys, this is the best week of summer, right? Yeah, it's the best. If you have friends that you know need to be here, write this down. Send us an email. We want to get them on the list. So those are the dates for 2018 this summer. We don't want you to miss it. Um, can we just give our students a round of applause? They did awesome. And if you could just take a moment. 
stand up, greet someone next to you, maybe say hi to a student, someone you don't know. Take a moment to greet people. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. I want to extend my welcome. My name is Dominic Nuncio. I'm the executive pastor of ministries here. So glad you're here, especially to students and children. We're so glad you're in the service with us. So thanks for joining us. It is a family service, and it's a very intentional service to be together. Not just to celebrate camp. If you remember a few weeks ago that we as a church prayed for students to have marked moments of faith. And what a great moment, just a nugget to see what God did in answering those prayers. So thank you, students. Glad you're here. Uh, we are continuing in our series in 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, either in print or on your phone, go ahead now and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. We are going to team teach this passage of Paul talking to a young leader named Timothy. And so we're going to hear from our director of children's, our director of high school, and then myself. So would you welcome back the lovely Rihanna Contreras. Oh, thank you. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you all this morning. And if you are like me, jumping into the middle of this series because you're normally hanging out with the children's ministry, um, let me give some background for why we're going through 1 Timothy, why we're studying it in the first place, and the context that it was written to. So in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, we're in the New Testament after Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended and the apostles and the early church leaders are sharing the good news about Jesus. So communities of faith are growing and they could use some guidance because can't we all? Let's be honest. <laughs> so this is where Paul comes in. He's a missionary um, who had this radical conversion experience where he was persecuting Christians and he encountered the living Christ. And because of that, he started growing the early church and is responsible for most of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of those books. Um, and he had some coworkers along the way um, sharing the faith and, and building the community, including a young man named Timothy, who he had mentored and they were working together to build the early church and keep the church on track. So 1 Timothy is written from Paul to Timothy, who he sends to help fix some of the problems in the church in Ephesus, where some leaders with the wrong motives were spreading incorrect views about Jesus and what it means to follow him. And it was dividing the church and causing controversy. So Paul says, hey, if this was authentic, true teaching about Jesus, it would result in love and genuine faith. And that's not happening, so we know they're way off track. So Paul tells Timothy to point out these issues and to help this church get back on track. And that brings us to 1 Timothy 4.6. 
and we have this scripture up here on the screen. I would love it if we could read just this first verse together. Will you guys read with me? It'll be fun, I promise. Okay, let's go. If you point out these things out, oh, sorry, let me, let me, let me lead it right, right? Okay, let's start over. One, two, three. Okay, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Thank you guys so much. That was beautiful. I love hearing our voices in community. So Paul is emphasizing that what you believe, the truth of the faith and the good teaching, or another translation, sound doctrine, will shape how you live. Isn't that true? Um, so these false teachers had added weird things to the gospel, and because of it, they were misleading people and causing division in the church. So to combat that, Timothy is sent to correct this false teaching with sound doctrine and by being an example to these teachers in how to live. So if the teachers are like, who are you to tell me what to believe? Paul says, here's what you can do. Live in a way that authenticates the gospel or proves it to be true so that others will follow your example. He's saying, Timothy, even though you're young, a lifestyle that lives out the gospel is the source of your authority. And this applies to us as well. Our authority comes from gospel living. We all have spheres of influence where we can make Jesus look good by how we act and the words that we say in your family, in your workplace, on your sports teams, whatever hobbies you have where you live, work, and play. We have the opportunity to lead those around us closer to Christ by the way that we live out the gospel. And as we see by the example of what not to do in the church of Ephesus, we know that a lifestyle that follows the teachings of Jesus should result in love and genuine faith. In other words, people should see how you live and say, I want that. I need whatever you have. And your actions and the way you live can make the gospel look good. So turn to your neighbor, humor me, and say, you make the gospel look good. You can wink at them if they're cute. <laughs> Okay, but don't be creepy. Okay. <clears throat> okay, but in order to live a lifestyle that reflects the gospel, we have to be super clear on what that is. What is the gospel? Because if we don't, then it's easy to get confused and to start adding things that don't need to be there, like we see in the church in Ephesus. So what is the gospel? And I'll start by telling you what it's not. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. And it breaks my heart to see people who have this version where it turns into sin management or behavior modification where they think if I act this way, if I do these good things instead of those bad things, then God will accept me. And that could not be further from the truth. God does not want our behavior. He wants our heart. So no matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you're hearing this for the first time or you've memorized all the creeds, it helps to go back to the basics, doesn't it? So here's a refresher course in the gospel. It'll be 60 seconds. Are you ready? Awesome. All right. Every human being is created in the image of God. And when God created mankind, he stepped back, he reflected on his work, and he said, it is good. But Adam and Eve and every human since decided to write their own story and choose to sin, which separated us from God 
but God couldn't stand that separation. So out of the heart of the Father in his undeserved mercy and grace, he sent us his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect, sinless life so that he could die on the cross, taking all our shame and taking our sin and all the punishment that we deserved on his shoulders for our sake. And on the third day, he rose again. He defeated death. And later he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of our Father. And he did this not only so that we could have eternal life with him, with God, but also so that we may live life to the fullest today in a community of God's people experiencing and advancing the kingdom of heaven with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the gospel. Isn't it incredible? It's an amazing thing. And it's the gospel plus nothing. That's it. Don't add more. Don't get distracted. Salvation is this free gift for those who believe. It has nothing to do with what we've done. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is by grace alone that we are saved. And the truth of the gospel informs the way we live. Our lives become huge thank you notes to God when we obey and serve him, not to gain his approval or to make him love us more, but out of gratitude for all that he has done. So to recap, Timothy's job was to correct the teaching of the church leaders with sound doctrine and by living in a way that authenticates the gospel and gives him authority. And to live according to the gospel, we have to know what it is. And when we know it well, we won't get distracted or, lead or follow teachers who are teaching it for the wrong reason. <laughs> Jesus, is that you? <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, <laughs> is that you can know all the right doctrine. You can have memorized the creeds and the gospel and know everything there is to know about faith. But if you sit there and get fed and fed and fed without putting it into practice, my old mentor used to call it getting spiritually obese. So we have to put it into action. We have to work it out and not hoard it up for ourselves. So Natalie, I'm going to pass the baton to Natalie, the high school director, who's going to show us how to work out our faith and put it into practice. <laughs> Thanks, Rihanna. That's so good. Isn't the gospel so good? It doesn't get old. I believe that we have to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel every day because it will inform the way that you live. It will have an impact on your life. Like Rihanna was saying, the gospel is too good to leave up here in our heads. It's too good just to leave it up here as something we know to be good and true. We have to take it, put it deep into our hearts, change our hearts, and then change the way that we live. The world needs to see what we know that is up here. They have to see it. If we don't live it out, if we don't tangibly put what we know to be true about God and what Jesus has done for us, they're not going to know about this hope that we have, right? We are the vehicles in which God uses to proclaim his glory, right? So it's not something that we can keep up here. The gospel is too, too good. We have to do something with it. And before we move on this morning and talk about training and maybe what that looks like, I want you guys to hear this. That training is not just about earning God's love. It's not... We're not training to try really hard so that we can earn God's favor or that we can earn salvation. That's not what it's about. That's not what Rihanna just taught. The truth is that right now, each one of you are known, you are seen, you are loved, you are called worthy. 
you are forgiven, you are called by him, and he loves you. And that's it. And now in response to that, response to that knowledge of who you are, you get to live your life so that other people know that truth about you. Amen? Amen. Uh, but the thing is, as much as we want to walk through our days and live like Jesus, it doesn't just happen overnight. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning like able to live like Jesus. Like, oh, I'm so kind and so compassionate and so patient. All these things. That's not like, there's some things about Jesus that aren't like my natural inclination. I don't just like wake up in the morning and I'm like, Jesus, yeah, healed, all this stuff. Like there's things that I, there's this idea that I have to practice it. I have to practice patience. I have to practice kindness. I have to practice giving my money back and giving my time back so that it becomes a part of me. There's a sense of training that is important. So let's jump into our next part of the passage, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. I'm going to read it for us, but you can follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Paul is talking to Timothy, a young leader, and saying, hey, you know all the right things. Now, now go and live it out because the people are watching you, and they need to see what this faith looks like. Verse, says, verse 7 says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is so good. Have any of you, raise your hand if you've ever trained for anything, maybe like a race or trained to play an instrument. Yeah, ooh, lots of you. Okay, great. Throw out some words. What was that like? What was training like for you? Whoa, hard, painful. Fun. Oh, that was, I did not get that in first service at all. I got boring in first service. Nathan, what did you say? I heard you. Rigorous. Okay, anybody else? Challenging. Intense. Oh, does this make you just want to train? Learning. Learning. Competitive. Yeah. Okay, another word, discipline comes to my mind. Consistency comes to my mind. Anybody else want to throw out? Repetitive. Yes, so good. This is what training is about. And you guys, it's really ironic that I'm actually talking about training because my mom's smiling and laughing. Because I don't like training for things at all. I think I'm like a byproduct of like a fast food culture where I'm just like, I want things quick and I don't want to work for it. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like training for things. I have attempted three half marathons and two century rides. Did I train? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I was like, I'm fine. I can run two miles. If I can run a half marathon, I can bike 20 miles. What's 100, right? Okay, I learned that one the hard way. Training is important, but I didn't want to put in the work. Uh, so whether or not you've, you've trained for something personally or like me, you, you've avoided it, we, we understand this athletic analogy that Paul is using. He uses this language all over the New Testament. And his first century hearers would have understood because there were Olympics going on in their time. So they would have seen athletes putting themselves through some rigorous training for this goal in mind. Um, and so we understand this in our, in our 21st century world. We understand what, what he's talking about here when he talks about training. Uh, we see it all the time in sports. How many of you guys watched the Super Bowl last week? Yeah. I, okay. I don't, are you guys excited about it? Or like, yeah? Okay, cool. I honestly was just there for Justin Timberlake and the food table. But it was a good game. I sat through all of it. Um, but we saw the product of some serious training, right? Like whatever team you like, you guys can talk about it later. Like we, we saw the product of some intense training. They, they played their hearts out, but for the weeks and months before that, every day they were getting up with a goal in mind. They were changing and ordering their day around training for this goal. 
it was repetitive, probably boring at times, strenuous at times, but they had a goal and they went for it. And then we get to sit back and watch them, right? We get to watch what happens when they trained. Um, and think of the Olympics. Who's watching the Olympics? We started, okay, I don't have cables. I'm so jealous. If anybody wants to invite me over so I can watch ice skating, let me know. Um, but these people have trained for years just for this moment. It's so great. And how much more, like training for a physical activity and for a craft is so good. But how much more does the world need to see people who are training for godliness, who are training and working out their faith so that people can see it and go, that is so awesome. I, I'm so curious about that. I, I want to know more about this faith because I see it and it's exciting. And Paul here isn't telling Timothy to go train for a Super Bowl. He's not telling him to go train for the Olympics that were going on in his time. He's saying, hey, there's something that has more value than that. And I think this has more value than the Super Bowl. Paul tells us right here, verse 7, he says, train for godliness. Physical training is some value, but godliness has value for all things, not just one day. And I hear that and say, okay, so the goal is godliness. What, what does that mean? That sounds like the really great churchy thing, right? Like, go train to be godly. Okay, ready, go. Like, hey, what is that? Um, it's, it's to be in God's likeness. Okay, what is God like? Look at the Gospels. We have four books of the life of Jesus. Jesus is the tangible representation of who God is in the flesh. And when we look at Jesus' life and we read about who he was, we just get to look and say, okay, I'm aligning my life with the life of Jesus. That's my goal. I want to do what he does. I want to live like he lived because that's godliness. And that has value for the world. They're going to see it, they're going to feel it, and they're going to be curious about it. Um, and if you've ever read the Gospels, spoiler alert, this means that, that God is calling us to train and to live out some like pretty radical stuff. Let me give you an example. Loving my neighbor as myself. Okay. Praying for my enemies. Oh, there I am. Wow, that's really loud. Praying for my enemies. Serving instead of being served. Eating with people and spending time with people who aren't like me. Spending time with God in prayer, what is that? Giving my time and my, and my treasure, like giving my money back, what is this stuff? This is some radical stuff that he's calling us to live out and to train for, am I right? And I'm not naturally going to want to do this stuff. I have to train for it. I have to practice it and to know that while I'm training, I am being transformed and other people are watching and hopefully being blessed by that. Um, this thing right here, this thing, you guys can't see it, called the Bible, uh, this, is, this is our playbook. This is our playbook for life. This is, is the way that we get to live. We get to use this to inform the rest of our lives. And when I was thinking about, like, the why, like, why would I train for godliness, my question to myself was, well, does, 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 do I believe that, that this has value? Do I believe that this actually really does inform my life and change the way that I live? Because if I don't believe in it, I'm not going to want to train for it, Right? I didn't think that my half marathon had a ton of value because I didn't, I didn't train for it, obviously, and it didn't go well. But if I believe that what's in here, what God says to be true, it has value for my life, for my dating life, for, for my life at school, for my marriage, for, for the way that I am at work and what I do with my time and my money, then I'm going to want to use this and I'm going to want to train to be more like it, right? Lastly, before I pass the rest of the morning on to Dom, I'm going to just hopefully answer a question that some of you might be asking, and it's the how. Okay, so how do I do this? What does this look like? And the same rules of physical training apply to your spiritual life. With that same intensity that, that athletes train for that moment in the Olympics or the Super Bowl, do that in your spiritual life. With that same 
okay, God, this might not be fun, but I know that something's happening. Me opening up my Bible has value every morning. I know that me working this stuff out is doing something to me. I'm training. It might not be fun right now. Sometimes it is. But I just got to do it and be consistent. When your, your muscles will grow when you consistently work them out, right? We all know that. So let me just ask you a question. Um, what, what might be your weakest muscle right now? I'm not talking about like your physical muscle, but what might be your weakest spiritual muscle? As I was thinking about this, um, I was just thinking of a, of a story. Uh, I graduated from Point Loma in 2013. Go sea lions. Some future sea lions over here, potentially, maybe. Um, and, and, I, and I graduated, and like m- most postgraduates, I was like, okay, what do I do with my life? And I was a little bit confused. I didn't know where I was going, but I started working at an elementary school, and it was so good. It was a great place, but I didn't have a goal. I didn't know what God was doing. And I wasn't involved in a church community. I wasn't invested anywhere. And I, and I felt like something was missing. I had gone to, to church growing up, and someone invested in me, and my life was different because of them. And, and I felt like a really weak muscle. I felt a weak muscle of, of serving. I was like, something is missing, and I need to do something about it. So I went online, and somehow this church came up. And Andy Franks hired me to start working with the junior hires. And I was like, I don't think I have much to offer, but I know that I need to start serving because my muscle is weak, and I'm missing something in my life. And that was four years ago. It's still here. <laughs> um, but throughout this time of spending time with junior hires and high schoolers, God has, has strengthened muscles and stretched muscles in my spiritual life that I didn't even know existed. And that was just because I started doing something. I said, okay, something's missing. I need to work out this muscle. Okay, God, I'm going to do something and know that you're, you're in this. And I am so grateful. I learned from these high schoolers every week, twice a week, the conversations we have. They're strengthening my muscles because I'm saying yes to consistently being with them, and it's so good. So my question to you is, what muscle needs to be worked out? Maybe for some of you, that's just doing like this, opening up my Bible. Oh, that hurt my arm. Like, maybe for some of you, like, that's a weak muscle, and you just need to just go do it and open it up and see what happens. Maybe for some of you, a weak muscle is is serving, and that scares you. My encouragement is just go do it and consistently do it, and something will happen. Maybe for some of you, praying is a weak muscle, because you're like, I don't see results. Keep doing it. Pick something. What is your weak muscle and work on it? It's so good. God wants to transform you and then transform the people around you. And the great thing is, is that we don't get to train alone. Training alone is boring. That's why we have the church and we get to do it together. So Dom's going to come up and finish our time together. Isn't it good? The gospel is good news. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can literally say amen and go, but you're going to hear me for a few more minutes, sorry. So I grew up in a home where Jesus was talked about all the time. I was an over-churched kid. I was an over-achieving Christian kid because my parents were missionaries in Mexico, and, and so I got that little notch on my belt. And so Jesus was always talked about. And I knew him, and I had scripture memorized. Um, I could do all the motions. I knew the gospel. I could relay it back to people. I actually went on missions trips and saw people respond to the words that I said and receive Christ. Seventh grade, eighth grade, tenth grade. But I didn't actually know Jesus. See, I I knew about Jesus, but I didn't actually know him. So I would say I was a fan of Jesus, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus. But something grabbed a hold of me my senior year of high school, and I gave my life to Christ. And I said, I don't know what this means, Lord, but anything, my whole life. And at that moment, there was a call into ministry. I was a young leader in the church. I was
was figuring out the good news of the gospel. I was undoing lies that were in my head about having to earn and achieve and train and recognizing he loved me fully. Parents in the room, raise your hand. Okay, so the moment your kids are born, they come out and you hold them. And I don't know if your experience was like this was, there's twofold. Whoa, that was my first. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. I'm ill-equipped. Look, when the nurse left and said you can go home, I was like, are you serious? You're not, you're not coming home with us? Okay. The second was, I love this kid. They haven't done a single thing for me. They don't wash my car. They don't earn money. They don't pick up their clothes. They still don't do any of those things, but they're not doing any of that, but I fully love them just as they are. And when I started learning, wow, God the Father thinks of me in that way. I don't have to earn. I don't have to achieve. I don't have to strive. I just am. I'm his, fully beloved. As the gospel, as a young leader was taking hold of my life, it transformed how I saw myself. It transformed how I saw God. And then it transformed the way I saw other people. Now, all of a sudden, people were viewed through the lens of the gospel. And they were viewed through the lens of community. And as Paul continues to talk, he, he tells Timothy these words. He says, now that you have good doctrine and now that it's transforming you and, and now that gospel authority comes from the way that you live, don't be discouraged. Verse 12. Paul to Timothy saying, don't let anyone Look down on you because you are young. But set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. As a young leader in the church, this is now my 20th year in ministry. I don't feel very young anymore, but I'm younger than some. Older than some. The gray hairs kind of make me a little more wise. But as a young leader in the church, can I tell you that there were many who despised me for my youth. Can I tell you that there were many times that there were emails and letters and hard conversations pulling me aside going, why are you dressing like that? Why do you speak like that? Why do you do those things? That had nothing to do with the gospel. They had everything to do with exterior things. Paul to Timothy, encouraging even me as a young leader to say, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Two men that were central to my life and spiritual formation. One, I was an 18-year-old kid just serving in the church, loving Jesus, loving students, leading worship, teaching. A man named Jeff came alongside me and said, follow me, bud. And every week I met with him. He was in his 40s, and he allowed me to just see him be a dad, see him be a husband, no real, he maybe opened the Bible, but maybe he just kind of lived his life in front of me and allowed me to see that and allowed me to see the vulnerability of a husband struggling to figure out how to be married and struggling with a dad to just how to parent his kid and navigating faith for himself and understanding of the gospel and processing that with this young leader. In community now, I was getting a better sense of what the gospel meant and how it impacted me and others. 
Fast forward a few years, I'm, tw- I'm in my early 20s. I'm an associate pastor at a church. I'm now in my first year of marriage. And this man, Howard, in his 70s comes and he says, Dom, let's meet. And he takes me to barbecue every week. And he spends $20 on me. And 20 bucks was like a big deal. I couldn't even pull out 20 bucks out of my bank account. He's like, get anything you want. Go for it. And this man, who'd been following Jesus for 40 years and loving his wife for 40 plus years, took me to barbecue. And he sat down with me. And he loved me. And he encouraged me. And he saw my life and my conduct and my speech and word, thought, and deed, and said, good job, bud. Maybe not so much this. Maybe a little of that. But I love you. Totally from a position of love. In contrast to, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? A man three times my age going, good job. God loves you. You got the gospel. Hang in there. Keep going. Oh, that more Howards would be in the church. For those students and uh, young leaders, I'm going to do something really quick. If you're 30 and under, would you stand up for a moment? First service, they applauded, and I was like, why? They can stand. They're fine. (laughs) Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. Every eye that's 30 and under, look at me really quick. And every one older than 30, look at them around you. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Instead, set an example for believers in the way you think, in the way you speak, in the way you live out your life. In doing so, you teach us how to live out our faith. You remind us of the goodness of the gospel. And you matter and are important to this faith community. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Amen? You may be seated. Paul, who's so gracious, says, Timothy, not only don't let anybody look down on your youth, But now here's how you respond to an older generation. Verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Now, father can be this kind of bad word in some homes. But the idea is, Timothy, as you're living out your faith, don't be discouraged. Don't let anybody despise you. And at the same time, as you see the older generation living out their faith, treat them with honor and dignity and respect. Younger generation, look to the older generation around you. I won't make you stand because, you know, it could be hard. I get it. (laughs) Oh, that was a challenge. Come on. You want to (laughs) see? Just seeing if you're listening. It's good. Older generation. Younger generation, look at them. 
the same thing the younger generation wants from the older generation to slow down and stop and notice them and say, good job. Younger generation, in your energy and passion, slow down and look to the older generation and treat them with honor and dignity and respect. There's something to learn from them. Some of you older generation have been walking with Jesus longer than you've been alive. You think there's something to learn? Absolutely. So the final point is this. As the gospel informs us of who God is, as it reminds us of who we are, it informs us how then we treat each other. The gospel is not one that has age specificity in it. It's for all people of all generations, level playing field, coming to the foot of the cross and saying, we're in need of rescue and you've made a way. And we celebrate you as a family of God. Can we be the church that does that this morning? Can we, instead of looking at disdain to each generation, be a church that says we value the generations this morning? And we live out in the gospel in community. Let's pray. Father, now we come to you, we turn to you and say, we want to do this by your help. By your grace, would you help us be a community that is on mission together, that sees each other with love and dignity and respect, that lives out the gospel in such a way that all will notice and be saved. Thank you for this family. We pray that you'd move even more now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Was that good? We got to hear from the leadership of our church. The only thing I, I would say is I, I was hoping he would say 43 and under, but we missed that cue. Just kidding. I tried to stand up, and they told me to sit down over there. Well, we, you can see there's a lot of amazing things going on in this church. A lot of things are happening. People are being touched. The gospel is being spread. And when I think about this church, I think about Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5. And he talks about this city on a hill, this light. And that's what this church is. And the church, I'm not just talking about this amazing ceiling and this vault. I'm talking about the bodies that are sitting in here, the bodies that call this their home, the big church, the Christians, that we're that light. We are that light in the darkness. And one of the things we'd like to ask you to do is to partner with us in keeping that light going and spreading the gospel and equipping the church and spreading the gospel some more and living out Jesus daily. And one of the ways we're going to we do that is with our faith commitment. If you got this in the mail, we encourage you to turn it in by the 25th of February. If you haven't seen this, we have some in the foyer. Fill it out. Partner with us in 2018. Right now, the usher is going to come forward for their tithes and offering. This isn't something we do because we have to. We do it because we want to, because Christ did so much for us. This is our opportunity to give back. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. You've called us to live this life, no matter how old we are or how young we are, to pour into each other like a body as each part informs the other, as the older encourages the younger and the younger learns from the older, Lord. We're your body, and we're here in your world to make a difference for the gospel. Lord, we just thank you for those who are faithful givers online and those who give 
faithfully every year, Lord. We just celebrate what you're doing here at La Jolla Community Church. We just ask this all in your holy and precious name.
it's been an impactful morning for you. And I hope that as we move forward in community now, the gospel takes shape of our lives individually and collectively. And for some of you, the response today might be, you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you were like me, and you knew all the facts about Jesus, but you didn't actually know him. Can I encourage you to take a step towards him today? I'd love to talk to you more about that, Rihanna and Matt as well. Take that step. Experience the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing him and being known by him. Perhaps today you are the spiritually obese and you need to start exercising. The amount of wisdom that's in this room, especially with our older saints, can I encourage you to be the Howard in somebody's life? To take a time, slow down, and pour into the younger generation around you. Not seeing them with disdain, but seeing them with the love that Christ has for them. And for the younger generation, can I encourage you this morning to stop somebody, notice them, and ask their story and spend time with them from another generation. In doing so, we show an understanding of the gospel. Finally, I want to encourage you this morning to pray. Easter's coming. We want to invite people here, but I want you to pray about how you can live the gospel out to the people where you live, work, and play so that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Who's he asking you to do that with? Who's he asking you to pour into this morning? Would you be obedient and respond to that? And the last thing, we're going to go eat some $100 cupcakes outside, okay? $100, just throwing that out there. That supports our homeless ministry. It's a very tangible, practical way to pour into a ministry that's showing the gospel to people five days a week, 52 weeks a year. Would you go support that? And as you're there, take time to notice somebody from a different generation and have a conversation with them on the patio. Amen? So now, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May you know how loved you are by the King of Kings and that he likes you as well. That's a good thing. And may his peace be with you as you go now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Thank you.